Sherlock Holmes. We present Barry Foster as Sherlock Holmes and David Buck as Dr. Watson in a new dramatization of the short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The Solitary Cyclist, dramatized by Michael Bakewell, with Miriam Margulies as Violet Smith. That characteristic little twitch on the rear leg of the letter H, you see? Oh, good Lord, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, if we compare it with the letter written to John Harden from Cricklewood on October the 21st. Here. Oh, no. This is intolerable. Be a good chap, Watson, and send the fellow away. I cannot be disturbed, madam. I need your advice, Mr. Holmes, your help. I am endeavouring to unravel the persecution of a tobacco millionaire. I cannot give my mind to anything else. You must listen to me, Mr. Holmes. There is no one else I can turn to. Indeed. Well, since it would be ungracious to attempt to remove you by force, you had better sit down. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. Mm. At least it cannot be your health. So ardent a cyclist must be full of energy. But how could you possibly... Uh, my friend has doubtless observed a slight roughening on the side of the sole of your shoe caused by the friction of the edge of your pedal. Dr. Watson has had the privilege of observing my methods for many years. Well, Mr. Holmes, I, I do bicycle a great deal, as it happens. And that has something to do with my visit today. I'm... May I see your hand? Uh, you will excuse me, I'm sure. It is my business. Surely you are not a, a palmist, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> I nearly fell into the error of supposing that you used a typewriter. Of course it is music. You see the spatulate finger end, Watson. It is common to both professions. There is a spirituality about the face, however, which the typewriter does not generate. The lady is a musician. Yes, Mr. Holmes. I teach music. In the country, I presume, to judge from your complexion. Yes, sir. Near Farnham, on the borders of Surrey. A beautiful neighbourhood. Now, what has happened to you near Farnham, on the borders of Surrey? My name is Violet Smith. My father used to conduct the orchestra at the old Imperial Theatre. Wilfred Smith. He died two years ago, Mr. Holmes. I'm sorry to hear it. My mother and I were left without a relation in the world, except for my uncle, Rafe Smith, who went to Africa 25 years ago. We never heard a word from him. Then, one day, there was an advertisement in the Times inquiring our whereabouts. We were so excited, we thought someone had left us a fortune. But this was not the case? No, Mr. Holmes. We went to a lawyer's where we met two gentlemen, Mr. Carruthers and Mr. Woodley, who were on a visit from South Africa. They were friends of my uncle's. He had died in poverty in Johannesburg, and with his last breath, 
He had asked them to see that we were in no want. Curious. For a man who had given no thought to you in his lifetime. They said he felt responsible for us after the death of my father. Mr. Woodley seemed to me to be quite odious. He was coarse and puffy-faced with a red moustache and a great opinion of himself. Mr. Carruthers was much older but more agreeable. He inquired how we were left. And when we told him that we were very poor, he suggested that I should come and teach music to his only daughter, aged ten. He offered me a hundred pounds a year, which was splendid pay. And you took the position? I didn't want to leave my mother on her own, but he suggested that I should go home every weekend, so I ended up by accepting. He was a widower. Uh, there was a very respectable elderly housekeeper, and Mr. Carruthers' little daughter was such an absolute dear that everything seemed to be splendid. Um, and then? Mr. Woodley came down to stay for a week. It seemed like three months. He was a dreadful person, a bully to everyone else, but to me, something infinitely worse. He made odious love to me, boasted of his wealth, and said that if I married him, I would have the finest diamonds in London. <laughs> when at last he saw I would have nothing to do with him, he seized me in his arms. He was hideously strong and tried to kiss me. Mm -hmm. Mr. Carruthers came in and tore him away, and, and Mr. Woodley knocked him down and cut his face open. <laughs> and that was the end of his visit, as you can imagine. I, I was horrified. What if Cyril had found out? Cyril? Cyril Morton, an electrical engineer. We hope to be married at the end of the year. Ah. I, I'm sorry, I, I, I seem to have strayed from the point. Uh, pray continue. Well... Now comes the thing I wanted to talk to you about. I told you that every weekend I go home to see my mother. I ride from Chilton Grange, that's where Mr. Carruthers lives, and catch the 12.20 from Farnham Station. It is a lonely road, particularly the mile or so past Charlington Hall where you never see a soul. You couldn't find a more lonely tract of road anywhere. And it is quite rare to meet so much as a, a cart or, or a peasant until you reach the high road near Crooksbury Hill. Well, two weeks ago, I was on the loneliest part of the road when I looked behind me and saw a man on a bicycle. He had a short, dark beard. I looked back before I reached Farnham, but the man was gone, and I thought no more about it. But you can imagine how surprised I was, Mr. Holmes, when on my return on the Monday, I saw the same man on the same stretch of road. Uh -huh. The same thing happened again the following Saturday and Monday. He always kept his distance and did not molest me in any way, but it certainly seemed very odd. I mentioned it to Mr. Carruthers, who said he would order a dog cart. Have they nothing at the house? N no, Mr. Holmes, nothing at all. How very peculiar. Go on. For some reason, the dog cart was not delivered. So this morning, I had to cycle to the station again. And what happened? As I reached Charlington Heath, there he was again. He always kept so far from me that I could not see his face, but it was certainly someone I did not know. The only thing I could see clearly was his beard. Let's try slowing down. He's slowing down too. Let's stop. He stopped too, but he's just too far away. Hmm. 
If I try going very fast around the next corner and then stop suddenly, I'll get a look at him as he goes past. certainly presents some features of its own. He could not have retreated down the road. I could see it for a clear mile. He was not on it. No side road? None. And then he must have taken a footpath on one side or the other. Not on the side of the heath. I should have seen him. And on the other side? That's Charlington Hall. It stands in its own grounds. And then by a process of elimination, we arrive at the fact that he made his way there. Where is the man to whom you're engaged? He is in the Midland Electric Company at Coventry. He would not pay you a surprise visit. Oh, Mr. Holmes, as if I should not know him. Have you had any other admirers? Uh, several. Before I met Cyril. Oh. And since? There was that dreadful man, Woodley, if you can call him an admirer. No one else? It's hard to say. It may be a mere fancy, but it seems to me sometimes that my employer, Mr. Carruthers, takes a great deal of interest in me. He has never said anything and is a perfect gentleman, but a girl always knows. What does he do for a living? He is a rich man. With no carriage, nor horses? Well, at least he is fairly well-to-do. He goes into the city two or three times a week. He is deeply interested in South African gold shares. Hmm. Well, Miss Smith, I am very busy just now, but I will find time to make a few inquiries into your case. You will let me know of any fresh developments. Of course, Mr. Holmes. In the meantime, take no step without letting me know. Goodbye. And I trust that we shall have nothing but good news from you. It is a part of the settled order of nature that such a girl should have followers, but for choice, not on bicycles in lonely country lanes. Hmm. There are curious and suggestive details about the case, Watson. Or that the man should appear only at that point. Exactly. Our first effort must be to find out who are the tenants of Charlington Hall. And I'm fascinated by these two men, Carruthers and Woodley, such very different types. How came they both to be looking up Rafe Smith's relations? One more point. What sort of a household is it which pays double the market price for a governess but does not keep a horse, although six miles from the station? Odd, Watson, very odd. You will uh, go down there? No, my dear fellow, you will go down. Uh, uh, this may be merely some trifling intrigue, and I cannot break my other important research because of it. On Monday, you will arrive at Farnham. You will conceal yourself near Charlington Heath and act as your judgment advises. Ah, is that you, Watson? Well, an excellent day, Holmes. Most rewarding. Yeah. You know, Watson, I'm more than ever convinced that the letter posted in Lewisham on September the 3rd is not by the hand of the Dulwich postcard. Uh, oh, but of course, my dear fellow, I'd quite forgot. You've been to the borders of Surrey. Sit yourself down and give me a report. Well, 
I, uh, I caught the 9.13 from Waterloo in order to be in position when our young lady arrived. I found Charlington Heath without any difficulty and concealed myself. And then I saw the mysterious cyclist. Excellent. He was wearing a dark suit, and I could see that he had a black beard. When he reached the end of the grounds by Charlington Hall, he dismounted and went through a gap in the hedge. After a quarter of an hour, I saw our young lady cycling back from the station. As she got to the Charlington hedge, she looked about her. The moment she passed, the fellow with a black beard appeared from the hedge and went after her on his bicycle. She looked back at him and slowed her pace. He slowed also. She stopped, and he stopped. There were about uh, 200 yards between them. Mm. Then she did a really splendid thing. <laughs> really? Pray tell me. She whisked her bicycle round and rode straight at him. Ah. But he was too quick for her, and he fled off again down the road. She gave up the chase and cycled back again. This time she didn't turn her head. And did you see the cyclist again? Oh, yes. After a time, he came back very slowly and turned in by the hall gate. He got off his bicycle and uh, seemed to be adjusting his necktie. Then he rode away down the drive towards the hall. And then what happened? I, I walked back to Farnham. I called in at a local house agent, but he knew nothing about Charlington Hall. He referred me to a firm in Pall Mall. And so you went there. Yes, yes, I pretended I wanted the hall for the summer. <laughs> but I was too late. It had been led a month ago to a Mr... Uh, 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 yeah, I have it here somewhere. Um, oh, yeah, uh, Mr. Williamson. Yeah, evidently a respectable elderly gentleman. So, there you are. Mm. You really have done remarkably bad, Watson. Did you get a close look at the mysterious cyclist? I saw him clearly enough. How close were you? I, I, I was behind a clump of gorse about oh, 200 yards away. Huh. You should have hidden in the hedge. But how? Then you would have had a close view of this interesting person as it is. You can tell me even less than Miss Smith. She thinks she does not know the man. I'm convinced she does. Why otherwise? Should he be so desperately anxious that she should not get so near him as to see his features? And then, when you want to find out about the inhabitants of the hall, you go to a London house agent. Oh, what should I have done? <laughs> Gone to the nearest public house, of course. That's the centre of country gossip. They would have told you every name in the household, from the master to the kitchen maid. But what have we gained from your expedition? The knowledge that the girl's story is true. I never doubted it that the hall is tenanted by an old man called Williamson. Who's the better for oh, that? Dash it all, Holmes. Oh, my <laughs> dear fellow, don't look so depressed. <laughs> I would quite like a little expedition to Farnham myself. I should be none the worse for a quiet, peaceful day in the country. Oh, uh, Mr. Williamson, the old fellow with the white beard. <laughs> People say he used to be a clergyman. Really? Oh, I'll have another glass, if you please, then, Lord, and one for yourself. Oh, thank you, sir. Mind you, he don't look like a clergyman. <laughs> he don't talk like a clergyman, either. I tell you, his language would raise a few eyebrows in this bar. <laughs> oh. 
Uh, thank you. Uh, your health, sir. Uh, oh, they are a warm lot up at the hall, sir. Visitors every weekend. Now, there's one gentleman in particular, a, a Mr. Woodley, yes? a fellow with a great red moustache. Oh, he's a lively fellow, I can tell you. Yeah. Well, only the other day... Mm. Uh, Oh, uh, Mr. Woodley, uh, good to see you, sir. What'll it be? I was in the tap room. I heard every word. Who the devil are you, and why are you asking so many questions? Get out of here! Get out of here! Get out It was delicious, Watson. A straight lift against a slugging ruffian. They took him home in a cart. <laughs> I sustained only a cut lip and a trifling lump on my forehead. Yes, I'll see to that in a moment. But I fear that my day out on the Surrey border has been no more profitable than your own. There has been a letter from Miss Smith, posted yesterday evening. Ah. She is leaving Mr. Carruthers' employment. Seems that he proposed marriage to her. Which she, like a sensible girl, declined. It seems he took her refusal very seriously, although he was perfectly decent about it, but... Uh, she caught sight of your friend Woodley again, slinking around the shrubbery. Well, he won't slink again for a day or two. She's leaving this Saturday. Here, I have the letter here. Even the high pay cannot reconcile me to the discomforts of my situation. On Saturday, I come up to town and do not intend to return. Mr. Carruthers has got a trap, and so the dangers of the lonely road, if there ever were any dangers are now over. So I trust, Watson, so I trust. Nevertheless, I think it is our duty to see that no one molests her on her last journey. Are you sure you're not taking it all too seriously, Holmes? <laughs> it's all very grotesque and bizarre, I grant you, but is it really dangerous? That, my dear Watson, is not for us to judge. I mean, it's not exactly unheard of for a fellow to lie and wait for a pretty girl and to follow after her. If he's got so little pluck that he daren't even speak to her, I mean, the fellow actually fled off down the road when she turned round. He can't be very formidable. I wish that I could share your bland appraisal of the situation, Watson. I am convinced that there is some deep intrigue going on around that little woman. I think that we must spare time to run down there together on Saturday morning and make sure that nothing untoward takes place. And you would do well to bring your revolver with you. Do we have to go at such a pace, Holmes? Oh, forgive me, Watson. I'd forgotten you were not in training. I've allowed a margin of a half an hour. The chimneys of Charlington Hall are already in sight. Look, there's something coming. Looks like a dog cart. If that is her trap, she must be making for the earlier train. She'll be past Charlington before we can possibly get there. Come on. Seems to be going at an unholy pace. My God, Watson, it's empty. It's abduction, Watson, murder, God knows what. Block the road, stop the horse. That's it now. Up you get. Now, let's make for the hall. Holmes! That's him! 
Ahead of us there on the road, that's our cyclist. Oh, he's going like a racer. We'll soon overtake him. He's seen us, Holmes. He's going to block the road. Stop there. Stop. Pull up. Pull up, my George, or I'll put a bullet into your horse. Take the reins, Watson. I'll get down. Where the devil did you get that cart? You're the man we want to see. Where is Miss Violet Smith? That's what I'm asking you. We met the dog cart on the road. There was nobody in it. We drove back to see what had become of her. Then they got her. That hellhound Woodley and the blackguard parson. What? Come on, man. They'll have taken her to the hall. Come on, Watson. Oh. This is where they came through. This way. There's, there's, there's someone in the bush. Huh? Stop. It's Peter, the groom. He drove her. The brutes must have pulled him off and clubbed him. Well, we can't do him any good. No. But we may yet save her from the worst fate that can befall a woman. Come on. Hold hard a minute. They didn't go to the house. Here are their marks on the left by the laurel bushes. This way. They're in the bowling alley. Oh, the cowardly dogs. Oh, we're too late. <laughs> the devil's putting away his prayer book. They are married. <laughs> you can take that beard off, Bob Carruthers. I know you well enough. You and your pals have come at the right time. You can be the first to kiss my bride. <laughs> I'll see this woman righted if I have to swing for it. I told you what I would do if you molested her. You're too late. She's my wife. No, she's your widow. <laughs> you interfering swine, I'll get you. He's got a gun. So have I. Drop that pistol, Henry Williamson. Watson, pick it up. Hold it to his head. I'll have your pistol, too, Mr. Carruthers. We'll have no more violence. Who are you, then? My name is Sherlock Holmes. Good Lord. Ah, you've heard of me, then. I will represent the official police until their arrival. You and Williamson carry Woodley into the house. Look after the young lady, Watson. I demand to know by what right you hold us here. That we can resolve when the police arrive from Farnham. Ah, well, Watson, and how is our bridegroom? He will live. I'll finish him. Stay where you are, Carruthers. Do you tell me that that girl is to be tied to roaring Jack Woodley for life? You need not concern yourself about that. There are two very good reasons why she should, under no circumstances, be his wife. In the first place, we are very safe in questioning Mr. Williamson's right to solemnise a marriage. I have been ordained. And also unfrocked. Once a clergyman, always a clergyman. I think not. How about a licence? I have it here, in my pocket. And then you got it by a trick. But in any case, a forced marriage is no marriage. It is also a serious felony, as you'll have time to meditate upon during the next ten years or so, unless I'm much mistaken. As for you, Carruthers, you would have done better to keep your pistol in your pocket. I begin to think so, Mr. Holmes. But when I thought of all the precautions I'd taken to shield this girl, for I loved her, Mr. Holmes, and it is the only time that ever I knew what love was, 
It fairly drove me mad to think that she was in the power of the greatest brute and bully in South Africa. A man whose name is Holy Terror from Kimberley to Johannesburg. Why, Mr. Holmes, you'd hardly believe it, but ever since that girl has been in my employment, I never once let her go past this house where I knew these rascals were lurking without following her on my bicycle just to see that she came to no harm. I kept my distance from her, and I wore a beard so that she should not recognize me, for she wouldn't have stayed in my employment long if she thought that I was following her about the country roads. Why didn't you warn her that these rogues were in Charlington Hall? <laughs> she might have left me. I couldn't bear that. Even if she couldn't love me, it was a great deal just to see her dainty form around the house. You call that love, Mr. Carruthers? But I should call it selfishness. Well, maybe the two things go together. Anyway, when the cable came, I knew they were bound to make a move. What cable? I have it here. By God, if you shop us, Bob Carruthers, I'll serve you as you served Jack Woodley. Your reverence need not be excited. The case is clear enough against you. Let me see the cable. The old man is dead. I think I see how things work. In the first place, the three of you came from South Africa on this game. Lie number one. I never saw either of them until two months ago. And I've never been in South Africa in my life. So you can put that in your pipe and smoke it, Mr. Busybody Holmes. Oh, very well. Two of you came over. His reverence is our own homemade article. Carruthers, you and Woodley. You had known Rafe Smith in South Africa. Mm. You had good reason to believe that he would not live long, and you found out that his niece would inherit a fortune. So you and Woodley came and hunted the girl. You pretended that Rafe Smith was already dead. One of you was to marry her, and the other would share in the plunder. <laughs> Why was Woodley chosen as the husband? We, we played cards for her on the voyage. Oh. He won. She recognised him for the drunken brute that he was, and you rather upset the arrangement by falling in love with her. We quarrelled, and he knocked me down. I saw nothing of him until I discovered that he'd set himself up with that unfrocked padre in this house. Why? I kept my eye on her after that. And then Woodley brought you the cable. He asked me if I would marry the girl myself and give him a share. I told him that she would not have me. He said something like, Let's get her married first, and after a week or two, she may see things a bit different, and he, he walked off. When the girl left this morning, I was so uneasy in my mind that I followed her on my bicycle, but before I could catch her up, the mischief was done. You know, Watson, I was very obtuse. When you told me that you'd seen the cyclist adjust his necktie in the shrubbery, I should have jumped to the idea of a false beard. The uh, constabulary in the drive holes. Mm -hmm. Then we may congratulate ourselves on a curious and in some ways unique case. Watson, I think that in your medical capacity, you might wait on Miss Smith. Very well. If she is not fully recovered, I'm sure that a word that we are telegraphing a young electrician in the Midlands will complete the cure. <laughs> As for you, Carruthers, I think that you have done what you could to make amends for your share in an evil plot. If my evidence can be of help to you at your trial, it shall be at your disposal. I fancy that a few months will be sufficient to satisfy the demands of justice.
that was Barry Foster as Sherlock Holmes and David Buck as Dr. Watson in The Solitary Cyclist by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell. Violet Smith was played by Miriam Margulies, Carruthers by Manning Wilson, Williamson, Douglas Blackwell, Woodley, Sean Barrett, and The Landlord by Ralph Lawton. The play was directed in our Birmingham studios by Michael Bakewell.